This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. You know I'm going to say it. Welcome, folks. Another week. We're at it again, and it's wonderful to have you back with us on the program. It's Kelly and Ramya. I am at the home studio, London, Ontario. Rum, she's at Hello. the studio in Toronto, raring to go for another week. Another week, and this is a special one too, Kels. Looking forward to it. We tomorrow recognize one year of being a um, TV. What's the word? I was going to say institution, but I product? think it's more product is more the yeah, word okay. I was after um, because we've been on audio. Mm-hmm. Or Jeff Ryman was pointing this out when we were looking at time. I think we're looking at this year. We'll be celebrating eight years, right? As 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 a show um, being here, and it's just like wow. Okay, yep. but for us tomorrow, we recognize one year being a part of your lives on right. TV, ladies and gentlemen. So feel free, send in comments or thoughts or whatever. Um, Ramya, when you think about stuff that you do, uh, have done in your life, have you ever found, especially being someone into books, mm-hmm. um, someone who likes her movies, is there a mantra that you would think you would turn to? Um, uh, maybe a, tech, a TED Talk or something that a part of really reaches you that you would use for inspiration before maybe doing an exam, before uh, going out on the field to play, or or is there something that you can think of that's close to what you would use as that inspirational talk or advice that that's, you'd hear over and over again? That's a good question. I mean, I enjoy quotes and things like that in general. I've never been a mm-hmm. big, like, pep talk person and that might be because you know my lifestyle never called for it sadly but you know for example i know that there's uh like compilations of videos that people will watch on youtube or they have people who motivate them my brother loves dwayne the rock johnson so he's always you know Mm -hmm. sending us things right like that but um for me there is a part of my journaling that i where i store quotes or passages that I really enjoyed, right? That that right. hit me the first time around and I put it in and sometimes I'll go through it, but not necessarily in a routine fashion as you ask. Like, hey, when it calls for it, where do you go? I don't really have the right. when it calls for it part to go for. Yeah. Mm. I don't you? think I do either. I've not, nothing I can remember. I mean, I've heard lots of great quotes. Usually I'll forget them. It's like, oh my gosh, that's powerful. Yeah. That's really cool. I get that. But I've heard of athletes, particularly actors, singers. There's something they prefer to read or listen to. It could be just a couple of True. lines. You got to hype yourself, perform, right? It's a mental space. Before, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's somewhere, it puts them in that place they want to be. It's words that really mean something. And you'll hear this even before games and stuff like that. I know before our London Lightning games, they opened their season this past yeah. weekend. There's always a, a mantra from one of the movies that they run. So I always think, wow, that's kind of cool. I'm not sure I'd want to hear it over and over and over again, Mm. especially if you did something regularly. But, hey, what works for you? Folks, we'll take a look at what's coming up on today's program here for you to get things started. We speak with Jenna White, owner of 
Jenna's nut-free dessertery about her time on Mind Your Own Business. Cool, looking forward to that. Also, uh, a ski resort in Vancouver is hosting three special sessions that are adapted for people with disabilities, including vision loss, and we're going to talk to Carol Yapel in Vancouver, our community reporter, to find out more. And also in hour two of the program, what is a non-disclosure agreement and how does it work? Danielle McLaughlin is joined by lawyer Alexi Wood, who will explain as they go over that conversation later on in the program. Ram, would you mind teeing up our book of the month? We haven't said a lot about it. We've taken two months to do this book. Yep, yep not uh, started the book yet, but I'm really looking forward to chatting about it at the end of the month. So this is a recommendation from you, Kelly. It's called Emperor of the North, Sir George Simpson and the Remarkable Story of the Hudson's Bay Company by James Raffan. It was released in 07. So looking forward to reading it. Uh, it's a biography, historical biography, Canadian, nonfiction, of course, and we have it available in human narration on the Center for Equity library access if you're a user here's a little bit about the book this it says the histories of sir george simpson and the hudson's bay company and the 19th century are in many ways uh one for simpson's professional acumen and personal ambitions propelled a failing business to a position of great wealth and political power it captures Simpson's many sides of brilliant manager who kept an iron grip on his fur forts from east to west, ensuring British power across the land, a pompous dandy who was most at home in a voyager uh, paddle canoe, a man who was ashamed of his illegitimate birth but who went on to sire 13 children, a master businessman who laid the foundation for the single greatest business enterprise of his life so or of his time so it was released in 2007 as i said we're reviewing it on january 30th of this year we gave you two months to uh, go through it because we didn't have a book club at the end of december so you can send us your feedback your reviews and impressions of the book feedback at ami.ca also uh you can call us 1-866-509-4545 and give us your verbal comments and whatever we get we will play on air during our own discussion on the 30th of january in that description what is so amazing is the opposite pompous dandy in a voyager I canoe know. which is one of the reasons i i selected the book originally to read yeah, this it because guy I seems fascinating well, and I remember in history, the coolest thing about that was learning about the voyagers oh, and, yeah. and being in their canoes That's and the right. fur trade. And then to picture this guy who is is quite a dandy, uh, you know, but yet gets right down there in the dirt and everything like that out there in the wild. So really love all that. We step aside for a couple of moments, ladies and gentlemen, to get the show started. Michael Babcock, he received a nice gift over the Christmas break, folks. Some... Celeste Glasses will get into what they are. Tells us his first thoughts after this. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Thanks for being with us. When you can't be with us, check out one of the repeats of the show. AMI-audio, first of all, they have us first airing at 4 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're not here for the TV side at 2 where we're live, grab us over on AMI-audio. 
at 10 p.m. Eastern. You can check us out on both networks, AMI-audio and AMI-tv. That's when the uh, first repeat happens of our show. And uh, 6 a.m. in the morning, AMI-audio, 1 a.m. I'll backtrack here on AMI-tv. So lots of opportunity to check us out uh, via your methods, whether you're in Canada checking us out through AMI-tv and AMI-audio or around the world listening in on uh, OO Tunes or TuneIn Radio. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. And because it's Monday, we love to get things started with a tech talk. Let's do it with Michael Babcock. App news, device reviews, security advice, and more. It's time to talk tech with me, Michael Babcock. Get your dose of ever-changing technology knowledge right here on Kelly and Ramya. Michael, it's our first tech talk of the year. How are you? Can you guys hear me? Oh, there we go. There you go. If I hit the right button, I am doing well. And you guys? We're doing well also. And it's really interesting because it feels like we're, you know, kind of into January now, but we have to go back to your uh, break because over the holidays, you got some obviously interesting tech things that you are going to bring on the show and tell us about. What exciting product did you find yourself getting over the break? And also, was it on your uh, Santa list? Well, it was on my Santa list because I'm the one who bought it. So does that count? <laughs> <laughs> and that caused uh, the removal of something off someone else's Santa list. <laughs> um, yeah, the credit card probably wishes I would have removed something off of someone else's Santa list. But, you know, uh, so... So I got the Celeste glasses, and I got to tell you guys, while I was listening to the doorbell coming in, I, I was sitting here thinking, man, it, it feels like it's been forever. I'm a little nervous to go live. So uh, forgive <laughs> me if I stumble over my words. Normally, I'm not nervous, but, you know, when you come back from those long breaks, you you never know. Uh, I got the Celeste glasses, which uh, for those who can see, I am actually wearing today. Um, and it's really weird for me to wear glasses because I normally am not a sunglasses wearer. Uh, I know some blind you, blind individuals like to wear sunglasses. And for me, I, I always had struggles with keeping glasses on my head, but I'm trying my best to actually wear these. And these are uh, pretty exciting glasses. Nice, nice. Now, we know too, Michael, by the way, just one of the tech items. We'll, we'll, we'll get the rest of them, you know, when you work your way through over the next uh, six months of items. Anyway, uh, can you describe these glasses for us? Yeah, so they are, uh, and I was nodding at the one tech item, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> right. They are uh, designed just like regular sunglasses. I have my hand on the right side, which is where all the business happens. Um, so I'm going to describe these as I run my hand around the glasses. So there's the standard lenses that you have on your glasses, but between the two lenses at the top of your nose is a camera. It's a little round camera that just sits right there in between the lenses, and the rest of the glasses in the front feel the same as any other standard pair of uh, sunglasses would feel. On the right arm, there are, it's, it's a bit thicker for the first half, and on the outside is a touch panel that you can swipe forward on to turn the volume up or swipe backwards on to turn the volume down. At the back of that thicker part, so about where your ear is, the part that goes over your ear is uh, thinner, kind of like you might expect, and it uh, kind of tapers off. The speaker is also on that right arm at the part where it tapers off to be thinner to go over your ear. And that's what threw me off, I think, in the beginning, is I was envisioning shots, um, like the bone mm -hmm. conduction, yes, where yes. it vibrates yes, that yes. bone. 
yeah, yeah. that that's not how these this current iteration works um it fires audio into your ear kind of like the bose sunglasses if you have any experience with the the bose frames um right. and uh, it is only on the right side on the top uh, now, edge of michael can i just Doug? just ask a question there just curious as to do you know if there's options for left-handed people is it is there a design yet for left hand not as of right now is my understanding. Okay. Now, they're supposed to be releasing an upgraded version of the glasses in this spring. Um, and subscribers of the glasses, we'll talk about that in a moment, have uh, have the ability to get that updated pair of glasses. And maybe that'll have a left-handed mode. Mm. Okay. Um, All right, sir. But yeah, on the top edge of the right arm are two buttons, um, and they're very tactile. The button in the back is what you use to press and hold to turn it on and to get the battery status. And the button in the front is what you press to take a picture to capture information uh, on it. And that's a description of the glasses themselves. You do have to connect them to your phone via Bluetooth. Okay. And what's the cost of the Celeste glasses? So I'll give you U.S. pricing. Um, I, I wasn't able to clearly find uh, Canadian pricing if it, there is a difference. Right now, it is $99 down. So you pay $99, and then they will ship you the glasses when available. I paid my $99 in August and just got mine at the end of September. I mean, the end of December. And, um, and once you pay that, you get your first month free, but it is an ongoing, not a lease, and it's not a rent-to-own. It's an ongoing subscription of $50 a month to have access to the glasses and any AI features that they add to the glasses mm. in the future. Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. Makes me understand that. My good heavens. If you had got them earlier, there would have to be another reason to get something else from Santa. Um, <laughs> Michael, how do they work? Yeah. So it you have to... I have some frustrations with them. I'll be fully transparent. It's really nice to have these freedom, but you have to open the Celeste app on your iPhone, and that has to be open for you to be using the glasses. Oh. Um, so, so that does come with its own unique restrictions, um, sure. especially if you're trying to multitask with your phone. It doesn't mean you right. can't, but that has to happen. You also have to be connected to a Wi-Fi on the glasses. And that, again, adds another complexity and level of restriction. What I've done is I've connected it to the hotspot on my iPhone because my cellular plan offers me that ability. So I always technically have a Wi-Fi network with me. But just realize that at this current iteration, it has to be Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. And once you've done all of that, then the app works great. You can navigate it. You can actually take pictures inside the app from the glasses or you can double press, and I have my hand on the right side right now, the front button, and that will cycle between the different modes. You can capture text. Um, it can describe the scene using, of course, ChatGPT, because why not? Mm -hmm. And it yep. will also allow you to uh, do quick text. Um, if you need to like use FaceTime or Ira or Be My Eyes uh, with the glasses, you have to go do a hack together way of getting that to work by sharing your screen and then choosing the app. So I'd like to see oh, that my. experience become a oh, little smoother man. in the future. Yes. So it's not even like a routing thing. It's like fully. No. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like you already have a couple of opinions especially on the connectivity of things but mm -hmm. overall your thoughts on i guess how productive these glasses are for you um 
I have to have another thing to be charged. So that's my phone. That's my AirPods. That's my watch. Now that's my glasses. What's next? So uh, that's one thing. It does charge with micro USB. Uh, that's another thing. Um, so there, there's a couple of little gotchas. And, and I knew these wouldn't be perfect going into them. But it's feedback that we can provide the team to make it a better experience. For example, I'd like to mm -hmm. see USB-C for charging because that's standard uh, around the around what we're working on. You know, everything has USB-C. Even the new iPhones have USB-C. So that would be nice. The other thing that I do want to say is when they are charged, when they're on, and when I have them available to me, picking up a piece of paper and holding it in front of me is a freeing experience. And getting that text read to me without having to fiddle with an app, without having to do anything else. Or uh, I was playing with the Windows 7 computer for some uh, ham radio projects I'm working on. It needs an older computer. Uh, I didn't have one of the boys around, and I wasn't at the point where I could do the screen reader. But because I had my glasses on, I had both of my hands free, and I had the live text feature that was reading the text that was available on the screen so I could enter the keystrokes that I needed to because I knew what I needed to press to get through the setup. So I think there's great potential. They're not quite there, but they're also not $3,500 like other competitors are as well. So it's a good opportunity to see how is head-mounted technology in combination with things like AI going to improve my life. And I'm super excited for 2024. Mm -hmm. I, I like the idea of the head mounted for the freeing of the hands, what you're talking about, the price. And if you get enough of this going on, iterations coming up, talking about it, you get a market already established, just like how long you had to wait. It, it, a lot of that is that, guys, we're still testing. It's going to get better and, and really, really nice. So, um, uh, so oh, go ahead, something Mike. came up on social media over the weekend that I, I well, last week. So I'm on Mastodon, Payone, P-A-Y-O-W-N. If you just search, you'll find it at unmute.community. And on Mastodon, I posted a 3D audio uh, so you can hear how the glasses would actually sound ah, if they were sitting on your wow. head. Um, and I can email that to you if you want, Kelly, so you can hear that. Yeah, uh, but oh, yeah. the, the cool thing is, is someone commented on there and said, hey, those sound a lot like the Ira glasses from 2017, 2018 that were wireless and had to be connected to a Wi-Fi and a Bluetooth. So I don't know for sure if these are repurposed Ira glasses, but apparently that's kind of what they sound like. That's what I first thought of when, when we, we first ever heard of them. I wondered, hey, is this because the IRA ones kind of went away with the mm. thought that there would be some re new iteration come up and nothing yeah. happened. So uh, I've yeah. been wondering or if they're working with anyone or just waiting for someone else to devise that product. Um, you want to talk about labels, sir? You want to understand what labels are in Gmail? Oh, yes. So labels in Gmail are uh, ultimately like folders. So um, they're for people who have a little bit more of an organized inbox than myself. Um, but what labels will <laughs> let you do is move messages to different sections of your Gmail inbox and be able to uh, organize those uh, independently. And then you can also set automations up based on labels. Um, and this is for if you want to get into some more advanced technology uh, skills. Because Gmail is available um, and it's, it's obviously connected to the internet tools can connect to gmail and if you add a message to a label you can have certain things happen dependent on that uh, occurrence mm. um how do we navigate labels if we're using jaws 
So if you're um, using JAWS and you need to navigate your labels, you can shift tab out of your inbox. So let me take a step back. The reason all of this uh, came up was because a lot a lot of JAWS users have made uh, mention that they are basic HTML users in the Gmail interface. Google announced um, that February 1, that basic HTML view is going to be no longer available and people have to use what's called the standard view in Gmail. That's the view that you get to when you just type in gmail.com and you don't click any buttons. Um, so I thought, well, how do I navigate labels? If I'm using the labels, what am I going to do to be able to access them? And what I have learned is if you shift tab out of your inbox when you're on the Gmail, you can get to a list of your labels. You can also tap the L key if you disable your virtual viewer in order to bring up a menu that will allow you to pick the label that you want to access and then press enter to bring your focus to that label. Okay. Wow. So how do we use JAWS to open and read messages in the standard Gmail view? Certainly. So when you go to Gmail, the first thing you want to do when using JAWS is press JAWS key. That's insert or caps lock or numpy zero, whatever you use to modify uh, your JAWS. So press JAWS key followed by Z for Zulu, and that will disable your virtual viewer which means using your up and down arrow keys will allow you to navigate a list of your messages in the way that Gmail intends for you to navigate them versus the way that JAWS wants you to navigate. Um, and then when you hear the messages name and subject that you want to access, you simply press the return key. This will open the message and you can toggle your virtual viewer back on so you can use your JAWS keystrokes to down arrow or to use heading navigation to navigate the message. And then uh, what I do is I turn virtual viewer back off. I tap the R key to reply to the message and that will let you uh, send a message to someone as well. But to open your message and read it, disable virtual viewer, Use your down arrow key to locate the message you want to open and then press enter to open it. One note, if for some reason you're not hearing messages when you disable virtual viewer and use your down arrow key, tap G and then I, and that stands for go to inbox and that'll put you on your list of messages. Nice. Well, you do have additional uh, navigation techniques for JAWS and Gmail, but we're gonna have to table that until next time, Michael. Thank you, have a good week, we'll chat later. No worries, just real quick, five mm -hmm. seconds, Blind Show, uh, Classic 2 users get Be My AI tomorrow. Nice, okay, right. highly anticipated, of course. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Michael Babcock joins us on Mondays for our weekly Tech Talk with him. We cover a lot of different things, so you can check him out on his regular segment on Mondays. Yeah, always nice, so much there, boy. Folks, uh, we're gonna step aside for a moment, and when we return, let's get to some headlines with Extended Holiday. That's his name now because he took extra time. You never catch me doing this stuff, folks. Making a holiday longer. The nerve. Grant Hardy, back from vacation. We'll talk to him in a moment. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being with us. Wherever you are, Ramya's at the studio in Toronto on main campus. I'm at the home studio, London, Ontario. We were talking about the switch, really, of, uh, you know, you go through this 
Christmas season. And I think a lot of people think, well, you're up here in Canada. My goodness, there must be lots of snow all over, especially, you know, from November on. No. <laughs> a lot of time we don't even get it where we are in this part of Canada until after Christmas. Yeah. And then... It's like they, like Grant, return from the holidays and open a can of whoop butt on you and bring all sorts of snow, freezing rain, rain, okay, briefly rain, lots more snow and wind and cold. So let's, speaking of all that, let's awesome. bring back from the holidays, wind, cold, and um, Mr. Grant Hardy. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. And in case any of you were thinking I was suggesting that he's like old man winter, cold and all that, no, he's like a warm, light breeze coming in here and making you feel great as he brings some wonderful things to talk about. Grant Hardy, out in BC. Welcome back, sir. Happy Aww. New Year. It, it Excuse me, did we start last week? How did I miss that? Rolling in a I know. week late. <laughs> what a convenient mistake. You took the oh. uh, school break, right? The two weeks. Rumya break. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look at Rumya. If it didn't cost her now, Grant, like you would never I, see her. If I am being very transparent. I'm going to be so much smarter with my vacation this year. How many uh, sick days can I have a year? Oh, we don't really have a number, Rumya. All right, I'll take 28. Nice. Uh, yeah, how exactly. many uh, personal go. days am I allowed to don't have? Don't tell me well, these things. Don't. Formerly three, Ramya, but we can't hold you down. <laughs> 75 is fine. Then. Um, Grant, where, I mean... welcome back. Where are we starting, <laughs> sir? Well, it's great to be back, uh, but it's also very possible that folks have gotten a little over budget this holiday. It's so easy to spend money on other people and, you know, a little something for yourself as well. So we're talking about something from, uh, I, I believe, originally from the nerd wallet that was shared with the Canadian press. And it talks about an interesting way to save money because they say that if you Google, you know, how to cut your budget really quick or how to get extra money, a lot of the tips that you get are not really workable right away. You know, because do some deliveries, get a second job, you know, whatever. It doesn't really put money in your pocket right away. But one really quick fix is get this to switch to a vegan diet or start uh, cutting uh, back on meat. So a 2021 study from Oxford University uh, found that vegan diets reduced food costs by as much as one third. Uh, and this makes sense because the uh, average cost of, uh, for example, a pound of ground beef is exponentially larger, uh, larger than a can of chickpeas, let's say. Uh, so for people like me who are very meat-based, they give some tips on switching to a plant-based diet or at least increasing your quantity of pl plant-based foods, and they suggest keeping it simple. So try not to get overwhelmed with thinking about it as a whole new lifestyle change, but simply think about the things that you eat and how you might uh, do some swaps. So for example, if you like pasta, you can still eat pasta with marinara sauce and a can of cannelloni beans with some frozen veggies thrown in. Or if you like beef tacos, try using lentils instead. Uh, they are heart healthier and much cheaper. Uh, and it does say that in addition to growing savings, uh, there are actually some real health benefits as well. What do you guys think? Mm. Are you going to cut out your 
some of your meat <laughs> or animal products this year or not so much? I was going to ask Grant that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's more of a gradual process than anything for me. Like, I'm, I've had so much exposure to being able to eat vegetarian just because we've always had that exposure in my house, in the family, but... Um, when I moved out on my own, it was just like, eat whatever you want, right? So you have to consciously think, okay, how many days a week am I actually eating meat? Yeah, yeah. So I, my personal opinion, if I try and look at it like, you know, somebody observing our planet from mm. below, somebody with zero biases or anything like that, I do think that what humans want is kind of impossible like we want meat that is dirt cheap always available highly ethically produced healthy accessible etc cetera, etc cetera. and that just is not very realistic i think given our population without taking a few shortcuts on the other hand i do think that people and i know this article says you know not to get too stressed out about it but thinking that you can kind of just flip the switch and like switch to plant-based that's tough for me for a number of reasons I, I think one thing especially in our community may dare i say well maybe i'll just use myself instead of labeling the whole community but um just like knowledge and availability of food like i always i find the trickiest thing to get honestly is fresh fruits and vegetables that are nutritious the easiest thing to get are branded stuff that you know and like like your favorite you know whatever rotisserie chicken it always just comes consistently you know mm. and to make it the hardest thing to get is all that diverse selection of plant-based stuff and plus the knowledge of prepping food and how to switch to it so I'm, I'm a little bit mixed i think that honestly i see why it's logical and it makes sense but i do think it can also be really tricky it is really tricky because even as you point out the alternatives and uh examples of how we can make the switch or make it kind of like a weaning off period if you will uh it's still a lot of establishing habits establishing different lifestyles and really a lot of the time i think it feels very against the grain still to um you know in north america I, I, to eat this way i like thinking of the health benefits being your motivator i like thinking of it being additions instead of yeah of course you know swapping <laughs> stuff out you're, you're taking your food and adding another dish to your lineup before you think too much of it. Hopefully you enjoy it and it just kind of, it maybe it's your go-to more often or when you eat it and you feel better about it or you step on the scale and say, wow, those those tacos made with the beef, that's really doing me good. I get my taco. But a lot of time we overthink and we're looking for something. Well, I just don't want to taste very different than what I like. And our body will crave things. You know, there are the, as we talk with Julia about the salt need and things like that, your body starts letting you know Hey, I need some more salt. Hey, go have some salt right, somehow. Yeah. It's how we decide to intake that salt. Okay, I better have a handful of chips here or or what else you're going to, you know, to do it hopefully the right way. Um, so I I love it. I find it very interesting and I really mm. try hard. And, and my family's always been one, meat and vegetables. So vegetables oh, yeah. were not the thing to be afraid of, but, you know, they were that assistant to Dr. Meat. I, and I think sometimes as, as people get away from I, I, for years, there's no way I could justify to myself 
eating meat, maybe a, in a sandwich or something, without having to have some vegetables, celery and carrots, or or grill up some veggies. So I've been lucky that way. But when you get talking about the cost, saving money, or just hey, how much meat are you going to eat? Yeah. You know, it always yeah. tips also, the scale. On that plate, there was more meat than veg. Yeah, and there's still a lot of stigma around, you know, canned foods and frozen veggies. Like, we're still debunking a lot of the stuff around this, right? Like, if we're mm -hmm. switching to other things, then what are our yeah. problems with those other items, those other uh, norms of having frozen vegetables, for example? And I, I just we, we, we have a funny situation, too, because you two are in, like, major metropolitan areas. Yes, I'm yeah. in a pretty big area. There's availability to get really nice, fresh stuff at markets and so on. But generally, you're talking May through October. And then it's gone. Then what are you doing in the winter? And if you have that attitude, I don't want to be eating all that frozen veggies, even though we have had the flash froze freeze discussion numerous times on the show. Nothing wrong with eating that. It's, it's The nutrients are there. It's how you make it up. And as we talked last week about the raw versus cooked, those are all information. And we can set our diet that way even in the winter here. But there are so many people who can't, whether it's economically or parts of the world or, you know, how do they do it? But we are challenged with that winter thing. And freshness but it's still there yeah interesting definitely lots of stigma about fresh fresh versus frozen you know supplements yeah. versus natural uh you know we we could go on and on uh but i i guess this is one of those things where we just have to defer to our experts you know julia you know uh etc cetera, etc cetera, the, the 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 science and if if people say it's okay then uh you know for sure why why let stigma stand in the way yeah. Uh, you want to squeeze this last next yeah. one? Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, kind of short on time, I guess. But uh, essentially, we have some predictions on how uh, AI is going to expand uh, in terms of helping with uh, medicine and treatment. Now, we already know that AI, for example, can be trained on tons and tons of uh, X-ray images, learn how to recognize certain uh anomalies but apparently that's only the beginning uh in the near future uh, machine learning is supposed to uh develop so that it can take a much more comprehensive look at patient health so it can take a look at x-rays uh for example absolutely but it can also process other data including doctor's notes lab samples medications past present and future genetic information etc and that's going to play a a critical role in diagnosing a patient because you, you can go behind this uh, beyond sort of a one-size-fits-all model and find a personalized treatment plan that sometimes doctors who are really rushed uh, may have trouble doing. Uh, other things that it mentions real quick uh, are going through just large swaths of like data from studies and picking out with a little more uh, precision accuracy than we can. Uh, and also training to eliminate biases. So that could be two things. It could be training on medical textbooks instead of just chat GPT that scrolls through the whole internet to make sure your data that you're getting in is good, uh, but also training uh, to rule out things like race and gender-based biases. I have a very love-hate relationship with AI, but learning these really tangible things that it can help, you know, so you're not like, oh, crap, you know, somebody missed my diagnosis, <laughs> whatever. I mean, that's yeah. a little more than, oh, crap, more like, that's yeah. devastating. Uh, that's going to be fantastic.
Okay, AI Amuthan, you can have the last words on this. <laughs> no, no. I, I obviously we know where it's headed. We know that these kind of things are going to come about all over the place, and in the medical field, I feel strongly that this is. Uh, going to be helpful obviously a lot of tweaking and um you know very real and hard conversations to have on what kind of biases we're dealing with with ai but nonetheless it's gonna take place mm. yeah I it's, think gonna it's gonna be gonna interesting be, it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be really exciting here as we roll into a future of hopefully letting humans do what we do best yep. but also letting there you computers go. do what they do best exactly it's learning, right? That. It'll be learning. It'll be knowing what we can do. It'll be trusting. Grant, wonderful to have you mm -hmm. back, buddy. Uh, we'll talk to you again on Wednesday, maybe tomorrow. We'll see what goes on. Fantastic. Thank you, folks. Grant can always sabotage the show and make sure he's on. <laughs> I'm back again, folks. Somebody didn't show. <laughs> Grant Hardy, he joins us on Monday and Wednesdays to talk headlines with us and whenever else we can work him into the program. Rummy and I will take a break, and we're going to speak with Jenna White, owner of Jenna's Nut-Free Dessertery. I love the name. We're going to be talking to her about her time on Mind Your Own Business and what she took away from being on the program. That up next. Stay tuned. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Rummya on AMI-tv. Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. We're getting your Monday started. I'm Kelly McDonald, Ramya Muthan, my co-host. She's at the studio in Toronto. I'm at the home studio in London, Ontario. And we're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. You can find us on, uh, excuse me, on AMI-tv. You can find us on AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Whenever you get a moment or two to check out the show or part of, really glad to have you on board. Looking forward to this next conversation because, uh, of course, we dedicate some time on Mondays to get to know some of the content and things going on around the network here at Accessible Media. And on AMI-tv, there's always something going on. So we scoop up Greg David, our communication specialist, and he coordinates with some guests for us. Really, really appreciate that. Right now, we're speaking with Jenna White, who is the owner of Jenna's Nut-Free Dessertery. And we're going to talk to her about, of course, her business and her background and also her time on Mind Your Own Business, which is up for its new season on AMI-tv. Looking forward to chatting with you, Jenna. Thank you so much for coming on, Kelly and Romeo. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we want to hear about your dessertery because we love food around here, but also... The, the magic word is dessertery. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. anything with sugar, please. But also, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, about the business. Um, where are you coming at this from? So I'm actually in Fredericton, New Brunswick, um, in the traditional territory of the Wollastook and Mi'kmaq, as well as the Passamaquoddy. And uh, this is where I started my business. We originally, well, I originally started at the Boyce Farmer's Market in 2019 with two small folding tables. I had all of $250 to invest in myself. And today I'm coming at you from my multifaceted business. So I have a restaurant with an on-site bakery and food production facility uh, in the industrial park on the outskirts of Fredericton. Wow. Awesome. Oh, that's really that great. That journey sounds really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And 
the environs. Of course, so many of us here, we sit here in Ontario, oh boy, anywhere else but Ontario. But there are certain places that just for, for us lend that, that mystique and then taking a business, running a business, oh boy. Um, can we talk a little bit about some of the things that, that make the restaurant so unique? You've already named a few things, but working, being there, when we come in that atmosphere. Uh, so one of the things that really makes us unique and sets us aside is we own one of the only flour mills in the province. So it allows us to utilize what's fresh here in the province and give our customers the healthiest possible food that we possibly can. So we actually mill our grain every morning before we even make our bannock for everyone to mm. eat throughout the day. If we can do everything from scratch, we do. Uh, thanks to my time at the farmer's market, I was able to create some really incredible connections with a lot of the local farmers and vendors. And because of that, we're actually able to use all local meat, eggs, and when the seasons allow, even our produce, everything we can possibly do local, we do. So those are just a couple of the things that set us aside, apart from the obvious of being uh, completely nut free. Right. Wow, wow, and yeah. the locals must love that. What a sense of pride. It is, it's a wonderful thing. Um, local has been very important, not just to me, but actually to my business, because if it wasn't for all the support from our local customers, we wouldn't be here. We started mm -hmm. in the middle of a pandemic and we're still growing. Tell us a little bit about that. You started in the middle of a pandemic. You started with, as you said, just you know, two folding tables yourself and 250 bucks. And now you are where you are. Uh, obviously, you've made many connections that are still very helpful to the business side of things. Uh, and you sound very grateful about that. But what was that journey like? I'd like to say it was easy, but it really wasn't. <laughs> um, starting out in a niche market's hard for anybody. Uh, but when you start out at a farmer's market in a niche market, it's really slow at the beginning. So when we finally started getting traction, that's when the pandemic hit and it completely shut me down. So it allowed me to reevaluate what I really wanted for my life and for my family. And during the six months that we were shut down and I was prohibited of selling anything, I actually took every uh, seminar and course available online to help build out a business plan that created a viable business. So mm. I really wanted something that stayed true to the nut free, but mm. also stayed true to my culture and heritage. By having something like a restaurant and by using food as a medium, I get to share culture. And that is something that's been very important from the beginning. Uh, that's why we have Bannock for all of our breakfast sandwiches, for our eggs Benny and all those little twists. And that's also why the first baking mix product that we did launch was our Bannock mix. Oh my gosh, so good. That's uh, wonderful. Oh. Was it always part of your plans to open the restaurant or were you kind of taking it in stride, like the uh, production aspect, you know, where you were in specific parts of your business and saying like, okay, this seems to be the viable next step? Um, for me, I guess it was a very different approach. Uh, I lost my uh, a big portion of my eyesight, leaving me partially sighted uh, in my early 30s. And it kind of put me in a tailspin. Um, right before that, I had become deathly allergic to nuts, which also put me in a bit of a tailspin. So okay. I was in a real funk and felt like I lost a lot of my independence and in who I was. Mm. So starting at that farmer's market um, was almost more about not only showing my children that no matter what comes your way, you have the ability to make life work for you, 
but really showing myself that I still had the ability to take control and still have independence. It's just going to look different. So I started my business for a different reason, but that little taste of freedom for those first few months at the market was enough to really make me want to look at this business in a way that it stayed viable. Right. We didn't know what was going to happen during the pandemic. Everything was getting shut down. People were being told you can't go out. Restaurants were told they can't open. So I really needed to find those connecting pieces that created the viable business. And the other thing the pandemic did was really highlight that having a one income source is very dangerous for businesses. Um, yeah. And I really needed to have that diversified stream. Right. And because we had that diversified stream, not only was I able to go with my passion of food, but I was able to find my passion in tourism, which without everything playing the way it did, I would never have known. Well, when you think of the Bannock fresh in the morning, being able to mill it yourself, get everything so fresh that it's almost hard to believe you don't find that in you know other places other circumstances and then whatever the mill whoever else you can help and 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 get business from as you say it's diversifying everything so much tell us a little bit about the other foods i'm, I'm still caught up on a beautiful bannock sandwich warm in the morning that where the grain was just freshly milled right um, so we do all sorts of stuff. We uh, It's a breakfast and lunch restaurant. It was really important to have that work-life balance. My children are still home. So it was really important to me to have a, the opportunity to still be home for them when they got home from school. I was a stay-at-home mom for the first 13 years. So it was really important to keep that connection with my children. So that's why we went with breakfast and lunch. Um, the other things that we do offer is I do our traditional meal series, which four times a year, I do a fine dining experience in the evening during our off hours. And we use traditional indigenous ingredients in new and exciting ways. Food is a gateway to a new culture. And by creating these opportunities, it really creates bridges and people seem very excited about it. We sell out every single time we do these events mm. uh, and it allows us to kind of dive deeper and reconnect myself with my own culture through food. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's so, uh, you know, authentic to say because it's not just about teaching others what uh, about your culture but also these reminders these deeper dives for you personally coming into your culture right it's we hear a lot of people talk this way and and through food it's so nice it's genuine people are wanting to take part in culture these days it's not necessarily a, a resistant advocating process Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, tell it us. It bonds us together pretty good. Yeah, yeah, of Go course. Ahead. It does. There's always similarities, and that's the best part about food is that you can weave stories through it and you can create those connections for people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So tell us about your involvement with Mind Your Own Business on AMI-TV. Uh, how did you get involved? What's, what is important to you about this experience? So I was first approached, I believe, by actually Kevin Shaw, who I first met through CNIB through their, uh, what was then called their venture program. It was for um, entrepreneurs with vision loss or 
complete blindness. It was an opportunity for us to be around like-minded individuals and to learn and to kind of create that network, which we all know is very important. Um, so when Kevin approached and asked if I would be interested, of course I said yes, because he's pretty amazing. So um, I very much admire everything he's done. Um, so I thought it was a really, really special opportunity. Nice, nice. I I listened to you talk and we talked the the mill, as I just mentioned, but diversifying and having so much else and so many things that you could talk to people about that they could take from you, things that it sounds like you would soak up hearing from others that present on the show and including including Kevin. What did you personally take away from being on the show? Well, I think for me, and without giving away too much from my episode, um, I definitely had an aha moment. Um, I definitely had yeah. some blinders on and some tunnel vision going on. Um, and I had, in my head, authenticity meant one thing. Um, and I thought that you really couldn't sacrifice that. And through the perspectives of the mentors and through Kevin, I was really able to see that you can keep that authenticity and still create opportunity for others mm. and to create that mm. more inclusive environment. So that was, wow. I think that's my favorite thing that I took away from it. That's really interesting. And and just for a bit more context, were you uh, in the angle of food and the angle of approach to business? Can you give us more on that? About I can give you a little bit because I want you to watch. Yes, it, absolutely. So they get season three. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it was very much um, to do with how do you roll education into marketing. Mm -hmm. So it was to do with our bannock mix. We have two bannock mixes. We have one that is our at home mix, uh, and then we have which is actually available in Sobeys and many different stores. We were the first oh to goodness. market with any major grocery store chain in Turtle Island. And Turtle Island is North America, for those of you who may not be familiar with that term. And uh, that was a huge thing because that actually sh helps show that there is not only a need, but a want for Indigenous products. And that little, you know, dream I've always had in the back of my head to have a Indigenous food section in every grocery store, mm. it gets that much closer right because hopefully it inspires other people to get their products in those stores yeah. and to get indigenous cuisine accessible to everybody yeah yeah and again we're gonna know as time goes on but it's like that moment where you start seeing the epiphany of people are interested people are curious and we know in our country you got to hit while the iron's hot or lead the horse to the water while it's there Right, exactly. And and for me, um, I was really worried about losing my authenticity mm. in how I shared and advertised my product and educated people, because that's very much what it is. It's not only a tool for you to, to try something at home and to just make Bannock super easy and right. foolproof, but it's also an educational tool. We have teachers that buy it and then they make Bannock and they share it with their class. So when they're doing a lesson on Bannock or on fur traders or any of those things and how those connections come into play, they can actually have them taste it and try it, which just drives that home, right? Because it creates that connection. So it's very much a teaching tool as well. And I was having a very hard time um, finding a way to get that across. Uh, and I had my blinders on that it had to be advertised by Indigenous people, that in, that authenticity had to be there when the fact of the matter is, this is a product, this is this is an item 
that is now a staple in indigenous communities across Turtle Island. But it originated in Scotland. The Scottish fur traders brought it over when they came and it was introduced to the indigenous communities and became stable because it was so filling. It was easy to make on the go. It was something that you didn't need a whole lot to create and you could feed right. your family. Mm. So, wow. you know, I needed that reminder that this there is that connection for other people as well. So if anyone has heritage in the British Isles, then your ancestors very well probably had Bannock at some point exactly. too. It would be different than the way it is here and the way we do it now, but there's still that connection. And and that was lost on me for a while. Mm. And it was uh, it was a really great thing to have those perspectives and to, you know, have someone say, hey, you, you sometimes make it seem inaccessible to other people, that it's not necessarily for everyone. And Bannock is for everybody. It is the most versatile dough out there, and I hope everybody tries it at least. I once. agree. Jenna, thank you so much for your time on here, and we look forward to your uh, appearance on Mind Your Own Business this season as well. All the best, and hope to talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. We were speaking with Jenna White, the owner of Jenna's Nut-Free Dessertery, talking about her time on Mind Your Own Business, which you can catch her episode on Wednesday, January 17th at 9 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. On the other side of the break, we begin our second hour. What is a non-disclosure agreement and how does it work? Danielle McLaughlin, joined by lawyer Alexi Wood, will explain to us. And Guide Dog Users of Canada announced its second Bark Fest. Devin Wilkins has more on her Guide Dog and Service Animal Report. But up next, a ski resort in Vancouver is hosting three special sessions adapted for people with disabilities, including vision loss. Community reporter Carly April will tell us more. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Thanks for being with us as we begin the second hour of our program here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern for Kelly and Ramya. Thanks for hanging in here. Whenever you have time to drop in and check out a segment or two, we're always available. Check out the podcast if by chance you can't be here for the live show on AMI-tv at 2 p.m. Eastern or our first launch on AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern time, you can also subscribe to the podcast. Kelly and Ramya podcast using your favorite podcast platform. While you're in there, please give us a rating and review. We'd appreciate it. And whenever you want to reach out to the show, please do that as well. I'm here in London, Ontario at the home studio. Ramya is at the studio in Toronto on main campus. And one of the things we get to do, Rum, that we enjoy immensely is visit with our community reporters. We get a chance to find out what's happening around Canada in different places. And today, joining us now for a community report from Vancouver, B.C., is Carol Yapel. Carol, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the program. Happy New Year to you. Let's see if I can do this with some justice here, Carol. To me, your first item sounds a bit like a song. Skiing <laughs> is believing. Tell us about this. Very nice. <laughs> well, listen, I didn't plan this, but this morning we had our first flakes of snow in Vancouver. We Ooh. haven't had any snow all season. And this morning I woke up to it. And in fact, skiing is believing is a snow activity that I hope to try this coming Saturday. This is presented by the Para 
Uh, it's called Paranordic Skiing. It's presented by the Nordic Ski Racers Club of Vancouver. And three times this winter, they have a special day-long event at the Whistler Olympic Oval where they work with people with disabilities. There are certified coaches and volunteer guides, and they get us out there in the Nordic ski space. So this is not downhill skiing, which we right. know Whistler is famous for. This is cross-country skiing that's easily adapted for people who uh, are in chairs. And they also have someone who is an experienced blind paranordic skier. So I don't know about you, but New Year's is a time to try new activities. Sure. And I've been going to the gym and trying to get my cardio going because I'm going to give it a try. I haven't gone cross-country skiing good. since I was, I don't know, in college years, but it's so beautiful out here. And this is something that the Ski Racers Club, you know, through volunteer efforts, is putting together to make cross-country skiing accessible for those of us with disabilities. Yeah, I, I know a few people who have, I mean, they'd prefer it. And for some of the different reasons that you already mentioned, and that when it comes to themselves, and like you said, it's nice to have uh, your cardio up, but for those who want to just get out, be in that fresh air, that coolness, and have some fun and moving forward and just getting out there in the wintertime, because I, I used to love winter sports, and only on the level of, I just felt more comfortable. I mean, it was annoying dressing up and everything like that, but it, it, moving around and not feeling the same heat, sweat, and whatever, and keeping moving to stay that nice, toasty, warm you get when your body is doing that when you're dressed, there's nothing like it. I think, well, you know enough, of course, what the experience is, um, but I think a lot of people, especially anyone trying it for the first time, will really find it a good uh, a, a good thing. And it's a good thing that you're not taking credit for that snow or you probably would become unpopular. Well, except with the <laughs> well, I hope that there's enough ground cover to make it, you know, really good on, on yes. Saturday. Oh, but yes. I decided to mention it early because there are two other sessions. There's one on February 18th and one on March 16th. So it is free and you can bring a, a guide with you. I'm going to bring my husband because they say they'll sort of teach that person who's in your life what you need to go out with you. So it's a free uh, mountain pass for them too. And the activity is free for me, of course. And I hope that it'll go well enough this coming Saturday that I'll be able to participate in the subsequent two Saturdays oh, and, yeah. and maybe even get into a routine where the two of us can go out somewhere more local like Cypress Mountain, which is quite oh, close to Vancouver lovely. and be able just to do it on our own. Well, it also helps you decide if you're going to put the expense out, like you say, and buy the Absolutely. equipment. Yeah. And he'll yes. feel comfortable in teaching you and working with you and knowing what he's got to tell without without making you feel, man, you're killing my buzz here. You know, you want to be able to have fun. You both want to know that you're both safe and, and have each other's back. But it's just nice to ha be taught by people say, hey, look, we, we've taught enough people. We can teach you. Here are the sessions. You're mm. welcome. And, of course, the magic, Ramya. F-R-E-E. -E. Yep, absolutely. With anything like this, we know that equipment is costly. We know that programs are yes. costly. Transportation can be challenging. So uh, when things are offered like this very intentionally, with the understanding that yes, skiing is not necessarily an affordable or accessible sport in a lot of different ways, um, and we're trying to make it accessible in all the ways we can, it's you know much appreciated.
Yeah, and for mm -hmm. us, hands on. As as blind people, yep. hands on. And bring your people, right? Like that's like so it. inclusive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that they've made this effort and that they have the three in a row so that you can build on your skills, yeah. you know, and the and the continuity of contact with with them as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Carol, there's other things you wanted to bring up, which is uh well, the second one is an assistive technology store that's opening up. Yeah, this is Canadian Assistive Tech. These guys have been around in different iterations for a while in Vancouver, but we've been lacking a retail store. And I don't know about you, but I like when I'm looking for assistive tech to be able to try it out and also to get good advice from people who know what they're talking about and, and are experienced in using more difficult things. And so Canadian Assistive Tech is opening. It's a New Year's opening, and it's uh, very easy to get to location near Broadway. It's uh, on 8th Avenue, which is just two blocks from the eye care center, where a lot of us go to get diagnosed and to get ideas for what kind of equipment could be helpful for us. So this is aftershocks that someone is trying. They have new headphones out. You may know about those. Um, I have gone to this guy, Steve Barclay, who runs Canadian Assistive Tech for many years in different iterations, and I got my handheld magnifier there. I got my desktop thing there. I've gotten some sunglasses there. Nice. He really has an enormous amount of inventory and, and the expertise to be able to sort of compare and contrast different products. Mm. And I think at different times in my vision loss journey, I've required different sorts of equipment. So something I need now, maybe I didn't need five years ago, and maybe there's something coming down the pike that I'm going to need more. And these are the people who understand what that journey is, how it progresses, and, yep. and what different kinds of equipment can become useful at different times. Exactly. It's the most relatable thing for people to be going through uh, deteriorating vision loss, as an example, and not know what you're looking for, right? And not knowing how to know what you're looking for until you walk into the space. And it's pretty vulnerable for people, I think. Um, I worked at the CNIB store, retail store in Toronto, and met a lot of people who came in and they weren't not even necessarily sure of what they wanted, but what how to describe what it is that they were going through, right? How to describe what they were seeing, what they were losing. Um, and so to have just that friendly support, open-minded patient, uh, hey, you know, hang out all day if you want and just check things out attitude is so helpful so that people can just relax and, and explore. You are so right in all of those points. And they do encourage making an appointment. The link, I think, will be on the blog. And the, the store is open from Monday to Friday from 9 to 4. So that means, like, just a regular retail shop, you, going there and yeah. sitting down calmly and taking the time that it takes to figure out what piece of equipment is right for you at any given time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Carol, we got just a bit of time here to squeeze in your last one. Shared Visions Creative uh, Arts Meetup. I love this. Yeah, this is a new program from the CNIB, and I've attended three of them. It's on the first Tuesday of every month, and they have a registry of working artists throughout our community in Canada. 
And these folks, one was an actor, there was a musician, there was a painter. They spend an hour on a Zoom call telling about how they make their art with vision loss, how they fund themselves, how they sell their wares. And they've all been incredibly interesting and very generous with their time. And for those of you who are interested in art, I just go and listen. But I think they're encouraging uh, people to use this as professional development so that if you're a painter or a musician and you want to figure out, how can I make this work with my vision loss? This is the space to be in. And uh, it's a register for free Zoom call every Tuesday at uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And I'm really enjoying being part of this. And I encourage everybody to sign up and, and check it out. And if you're an artist, you maybe get featured on it. Yeah. It'd be nice when people can get that chance to talk, ask questions, and mostly encourage someone or tell them, hey, well, why don't you try doing it that way? Geez, I never thought about that, especially those who have had to make changes as vision loss has affected their lives. Carol, wonderful stuff. Good suggestion. I think you said first Tuesday of the month? Yes. Okay. Thanks a lot. Well, we will talk to you next month here on the program. Very good. And good Thanks luck this lot. weekend. It will go well, and the first of the three will be fantastic. We'll hear good things back. Looking forward to the report. That was our community report from Vancouver, British Columbia. Carol Yapel, our community reporter. We feature our community reporters on the show Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays at the top of our second hour. Up next, Guide Dog Users of Canada announced its second park fest. Devin Wilkins will have more for us with a few other subjects as well on our Guide Dog and Service Animal Report. Stand by for that after this. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner.
Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya. And if you want to accuse us of anything, folks, I mean anything, we are sheerly guilty of having quite a variety on this program, and we love it. And we hope you do as well whenever you get time to check in with us and hang out. Ramya's at the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the studio in London, Ontario, at the home studio setup. And on Mondays, we always have the luxury, the privilege of getting into knowing about our rights. Let's welcome in Danielle McLaughlin. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. I need a gavel since we've been found guilty, Danielle, of variety of topics and the best ones we saved for Monday afternoon. Welcome back. Well, thank you, and Happy New Year to you. I haven't you. Uh, encountered my dear friends at Kelly and Ramya since uh, last year, so it's lovely to be back together again. And today we have a special visit from my dear friend and former colleague, Alexi Wood. Alexi is a partner in the law firm St. Lawrence Barristers, and she is a strong and a creative advocate for people's rights. Nice to have you back with us, Alexi. Welcome and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Danielle. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Uh, thank you for, for, for joining us. Alexi, I have been reading that recently the Ontario government is considering banning the use of non-disclosure agreements for workplace sexual harassment and violence complaints. Um, I find this a little bit puzzling. Can you help us? Can you explain what an NDA is and how it's supposed to work? Sure. So first, NDAs or non-disclosure agreements are contracts that you enter into as a part of a settlement. So if there's a piece of litigation that's ongoing and then the parties decide to settle, the parties will often, depending on the litigation, include some kind of confidentiality clause or non-disclosure agreement where the parties agree not to talk about all or some of the litigation that is that has been ongoing, potentially including the claims that were brought, the defenses that were raised, and even the settlement amount, if any, was paid. So in your opinion, then, who is it who benefits from such an agreement? It's often the defendant who wants the non-disclosure agreement, particularly in a workplace harassment or sexual assault type of situation. It would often be the employer or the defendant who would want the non-disclosure agreement for a couple of reasons. One, they may want to prevent rumors and discussion of the litigation. They may want to protect the amount of settlement so that there isn't an incentive for other people to bring litigation. People may misunderstand settlement amounts that have been paid. Um, but occasionally, it can be the complainant who doesn't want information to be public either. Perhaps the complainant, the, the matter of the litigation was very sensitive and personal, and the complainant doesn't want the information to be put forward. So it can go both ways. It usually favors the defendant or employer, but it can go both ways. Interesting. Now, if somebody is applying for a job, do you think that the potential employee should have the right to know whether employers had agreed to settle her? a sexual harassment or a workplace violence complaint in the past? I mean, would is that something that you think people 
would like to know or, or should have the right to know? So this is what makes these this question so interesting about the idea of banning non-disclosure agreements and forcing it to be public. Um, so there, in general, I am always a fan of more information and the public having access to information. I am in general an advocate for information sharing because I think that transparency is the most important thing. But from an employer's perspective, there may be times when that information, they, they want to protect that information. Perhaps it was a situation where they were working to protect an employee. They, the employer themselves didn't feel that they were responsible for whatever bad acts happened. They dealt with it internally, perhaps by letting the employee go or something like that. And they, there may be a misinterpretation in the public if that information were shared. So while I am generally a fan of information being made public, there are occasionally times when as a lawyer, I can understand why an employer or a defendant may want to have that information protected from the public. Yeah, these things are, are, are rarely all black and white, um, Correct. I'm sure. But as a lawyer for a complainant, yeah. Have you ever used or do you think that NDAs can be useful as part of the settlement process, uh, you know, when, when, when you're working together in this process? So there's a big debate about this amongst the legal community. I generally act for complainants in this type of situation. Um, mm -hmm. And other lawyers who act for complainants and I um, have differences of opinion, which is always one of the best things to happen, as I know you talk about all the time in this show. I personally have used NDAs effectively when I have been settling litigation. Um, because an employer may want something to be protected, may want something to be kept confidential, there's a value to that. The employer will place a value on the fact that it could be kept public. And so therefore it's up to the complainant. It's a weighing. They have to debate and internally decide what weighs more heavily for them. If they want to agree to the NDA, it may be a very successful bargaining chip. Perhaps the complainant isn't really concerned about speaking publicly about the harassment or about the complaint. They will feel vindicated. They feel they have achieved their objective, which was their employer accountable. If in their personal view, they've achieved that, then perhaps that non-disclosure agreement can be used as a bargaining chip to help them benefit in their settlement. So from a personal perspective, they may choose to go the NDA route and say, you know what, this is enough for me. I don't need to speak about it publicly. I would rather use it as leverage in my negotiation. But perhaps other people want to speak about it publicly, in which case, again, the negotiation can happen where the agreement is there won't be an NDA, but there may be other things that are not included in the settlement discussion. It's a tool in our tool belt. It's an option that we can use effectively at times. Other lawyers think that banning it is, is appropriate because then if the tool is taken out of everybody's tool belt, it evens the playing field. So that's really the debate that comes down about whether or not these should be banned. I personally feel that it's a tool and I 
do I don't like a ban idea because I think it it ties our hands and it takes a tool out of our tool belt, but lots of other lawyers feel differently. Well, it's interesting when it can be useful for either side uh, in this kind of a case. Tell me, I've I've read cases where you know going down the road, somebody has signed a non-disclosure agreement, and then they've changed their mind and they've thought, I don't care. I'm going to talk about this with the media or I'm going to make this public in some fashion. What happens when somebody does this? What are the consequences of disclosing this kind of information? So an NDA is part of a contract and the ramifications for breaching an NDA are part of the terms of the contract. So it it can vary. It can be that if money was paid, perhaps Mm -hmm. it now means that all of the money has to be paid back. Perhaps it means that a part of the money has to be paid back. Perhaps it means that there is some other form of legal implication. It now means that both sides can discuss legal issues. It could negate the entire settlement and the litigation is renewed and revived. So there are a variety of different ways, again, that lawyers can creatively work to draft those clauses. Um, And I have come up with lots of different ways to draft those clauses that um, work for the parties and, again, can be used as leverage in negotiation when you're coming to that contract. Interesting. Now, you know, we've all heard so frequently that the courts are just clogged up with every sort of case. Do you think that more harassment or complaints like this will end up in court if there is no access to using non-disclosure agreements? That is a concern of mine, yes. And I am concerned about that because I worry that um, if if an, if someone, put another way, if someone wants an NDA, it's usually because they don't want it to be public. Litigation, mm-hmm. of course, is public. And so if you take away that tool and it will be public regardless, I am concerned that it removes a bit of an incentive to settle because an incentive for some people to settle is, look, I know if I settle this, it's going to be kept confidential. It's going to be kept quiet. So I have a real incentive to settle because I know it's protected. If you take that away, I am concerned that it is going to take away that incentive and therefore not only will it clog up the court system because it will add more litigation, but litigation takes a long time. Settlement can often be achieved very quickly. And so you reach resolution for the complainant much faster than if you had to go through litigation. If there's nothing left to lose from the public perspective, I'm concerned that not only will it continue on with the court system, but it will prolong the litigation for the complainant. Which could be a real problem. Uh, On the other hand, there seems to be a belief that if there are no non-disclosure agreements, that employers are going to be much more careful to respect rights, particularly the rights of of people who are liable to workplace violence or sexual harassment. Do you think it would have this effect? That's certainly the argument. Again, as I said, you know, if we take the tool out of everyone's toolbox, it levels the playing field. And so that is the incentive is that, you know, the public will hold people accountable. There will be public scrutiny and there will be that accountability. I'm I'm not personally as convinced by that argument because 
I think that includes a lot of forethought and planning on the part of employers or particularly employees who are harassing or committing assault. And I don't often see that level of sort of forethought and planning in those types of defendants. So I, I'm not as persuaded by that. Um, I'm a little more persuaded by the argument of the leveled playing field for everyone, but still on balance for me, I would prefer to have that tool available to me in my toolbox. Fair enough. My, you know, one of the things I wondered was if, um, you know, employers realized that this was going to be out there if, in the public, would they increase training? Would, would they say, you know, to employees, um, there's a big problem in society and we want to make sure that we're part of the solution and not part of the problem. Do, do you see that as a likely outcome or is that wishful thinking again? No, I think that's, I mean, I'm always a fan of training and increased um, information sharing and training. Um, I do think that that is already starting to happen. One of the things that we're seeing happily is that um, when we are coming to settlement amounts and looking at that number, one of the things that can be an aggravating factor, meaning that we get more money in settlement from the employer, is if the employer has not taken steps for training. I think that training, fortunately, has become more commonplace. And so if an employer has not implemented steps for training, that can be used against the employer to help increase the settlement amounts for the complainant. So I think that that's something that's already starting, which is very good to know. Um, and I hope that that continues whether or not the NDA issue is, whether the NDA ban passes or not. Um, I hope that that training aspect continues to be something that we see, that employers are just expected to do training now, which is helpful. Yeah, I guess my, my hope is that the training actually is effective. And I don't know <laughs> if it's been happening long enough for people to really have data on, you know, if it works and how how well it works, but you know, it's it, I, or or is it sort of like chicken soup? It's it, you know, it's not going to hurt. You might as well use something. But uh, yeah, th th it's a big problem as I as people like you are well aware. And yes. I guess we're hopeful that um, bringing this kind of issue to to light, whether there are non disclosure agreements or there aren't. Um, the public will be more alert to the fact that that this is an issue. We need to discuss it openly uh, and do something about it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alexi. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Danielle. Always lovely to be with you. Thank you. That was my friend and former colleague, Alexi Wood. Uh, she is a partner in the St. Lawrence Barristers Law Firm, and she was talking with us today about non-disclosure agreements in the workplace and possible legislation that would take, as she said, a tool out of her tool belt. There's Absolutely all... fantastic. Yeah. And really wonderful. Go ahead, Rumsar. I was just going to say there's just a lot of complexity around this kind of thing, Danielle. And, uh, you know, we started from a very basic uh, understanding of what an NDA is and went into a lot of uh, deeper concepts or even debates around it. So appreciated the conversation. Yes, thank you so much. And I'm I, I'm always so happy when we can get Alexi to join us because she is one of the clearest speakers yes. I know and she can make yes. a complex issue really 
clear so that people, everybody can understand what, what's at issue. Yeah, I, I think that's so special about the individual because it comes from a place of not only speaking, breaking it down, but knowing the subject matter so well, being so comfortable and so versed. And, and Danielle, you guys always bring that to us, uh, always top notch. Thank you so much. And again, happy new year and lovely to be back together in 2024. Thank you. Yeah, the best. Appreciate you being here as usual. Danielle was here with us last year when we launched the show on uh, on TV. As a matter of fact, uh, we recognize that day in some form tomorrow during our show one year. So if you'll indulge us, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll be getting into that in a bit. We have a lot to get into before we're done today with the Monday edition of our program. Coming up next, we wrap up this program. Tell you what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown, our closing moment, and a few comments from us as we work our way through your day. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Remember to check out our podcast, the Kelly and Ramya podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Maybe give us a rating and review, but mostly check out the show. The full version includes the audio vanity card that I throw at you today uh, throughout the week. We've got a few different folks that'll be contributing to that. Yay, always fun. Also, you can listen to the show in segment form. Maybe you have a favorite contributor you like to check out. Maybe you want to go back and review community reports and just hit a few of them at once. Well, you can do that. We have the show posted in segment form. Also, along our network, now with Dave Brown available. You can find that too and subscribe to it. Give them a rating and review. They'd love it. So if you would, uh, Rum, tell us what's coming up on their program tomorrow. Yep, this is what's coming up Tuesday morning. Uh, 2023 was, of course, an unprecedented year for climate emergencies. So disability rights advocate Ann Kambosi will provide her thoughts on the state of emergency preparedness um, for people with disabilities for 2024. So... That'll be, of course, a very resourceful conversation. Also, community reporter Dorothy McNaughton will discuss how to get involved in the public consultation process for the upcoming uh, federal budget. For her participation in the process, she suggested that the government participate in a federal assistive devices program. So we'll get more insight on that suggestion and more with her. And Tuesday isn't Tuesday without the weekly news quiz. You can listen in with Karen McGee, Alicia Yardley, and Elizabeth Bo uh, Moeller, who are going to fight for that news quiz crown, uh, knowledge of current events, of course. I think it should be national. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are the some people who don't program? have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many people who don't have what we have here in Ontario. Other places have other situations, but it should be uniform. Absolutely. And supported in such a great way, you know, the federal government in a good way. Uh, really awesome. You can check out now with Dave Brown, get into all those conversations. It's uh, the great fun starting at 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv. For our closing moment today, something that caught me by surprise. It's an article you can go look for. LinkedIn isn't just for jobs anymore. It's now a dating app, too. It's hard to estimate how many of LinkedIn's 1 billion members are actually using the platform to find love. The company doesn't collect or release data on that particular matter, and its community policy page prohibits using it for really using rom it for romantic advances, emphasizing it's a professional networking platform, not a dating site. But plenty of posts suggest 
that many uh, users for a very long time have actually used the site for romance. And as, hmm. as LinkedIn uh, sort of got into the age of remote work, using the platform to find a date got more popular. But, Rum, this leads the question. Is it a wise thing to mix work yeah, and love? That's what I mean. <laughs> the design of it, Rum, uh, helps to maintain its focus on the professional. But can any platform with a direct direct messaging format is likely to be used to uh, pursue affection <clears throat> dating? Oh boy! Any place where you can see someone via social media's picture. Uh, can turn into a dating app, and LinkedIn is even better because it's not just showing people's fake lives. Uh -huh. <laughs> you you kind of got to tell a little bit about the things that make you appealing to be hired. It's interesting. And work with. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting because I was reading one of my friend's profiles the other day on LinkedIn, and I was joking around with him that uh, you got to add more personality. This sounds like a resume. It's a social media site, not just a resume. And now you're bringing up this convo about people just taking it to the next level and dating off LinkedIn. And I'm thinking, I guess, like, it makes perfect sense to me that you know, all social media is what it is. It's networking, right? And networking isn't just pro, isn't just keeping up with friends. Uh, the, the, I want to say temptations, but the reality is, yeah, if you're looking for dating opportunities anyway and you find some kind of an appeal on uh, LinkedIn, are you going to say no? The DMs are there. Well, the, the, the article goes on a lot about Facebook and, and, and yeah. the others that are properly used, if you, well, I say properly used, that are used to do these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, it caught me 100% by surprise. I never thought of LinkedIn that way. And I wonder Aww. how many HR departments are stopping to say, and it makes sense, don't get me wrong, as soon as you talk about the messaging and the fact that, hey, man, these people are more truthful than what yeah. some people are on the other side. So, folks, we step aside. Presence. Oh, exactly. And, and, mm -hmm. Again, where everything's going to evolve, and this isn't a new problem. Folks, uh, what kind of skin problems can cats get, and what can we do to help them? Danielle, uh, John Kine will be here tomorrow to talk about it on Ask a Vet. We got collections and hobbies tomorrow, and we're uh, featuring Karen McGee's Disney pin collection. So looking forward to that. Folks, we'll talk to you starting at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. We're waving at you. Fedora's off to you. So we've been doing the show on TV for almost a year, and of course over on AMI-audio, where my wardrobe doesn't matter. <sighs> so I explained early goings-ons with using Ira to help pick out shirts, matching hats. Gotta have those darn hats, right, as part of the repertoire. Fedora's off to you folks. Um, as we look at celebrating one year on TV and tipping that fedora, to you uh, for being with us and, and all the good things that come with that. I'm looking back at how much better have I got at occupying those poor helpers at Ira when it comes to helping me make sure clothes are matched, fedoras are paired, and away we go. I, I have a system where I do it once a week, beginning of the week, because then I need to figure out, okay, that doesn't really work, which really seldom doesn't happen. So I look at how long I used to stay on the, on the line with them, getting it sorted. And I recall one time, 35 to 40 minutes. That that wasn't necessarily right when I started doing it, but there was just one day where things were difficult. 
and sometimes that could be camera, the lighting I'm using. I'm powering up all the lights, and I set everything out and say, hi there, and away we go. The quickest, and this is to set up a full week of stuff. I've gotten better. Gotten better even with the hats just by feel because I don't have enough vision and I've never could see colors before. But I've got things down pretty good. And, of course, I have the backup. But before we go to air, hey, guys, this look okay on cam? I think the quickest was six minutes. Um, it was that looks good. That looked good. The person was so efficient. And it's hard. Like I say, sometimes the camera lies to them or the lighting doesn't exactly work with them. And natural light spills in. So they're dealing with lamp. Uh, studio lights and natural light sometimes I've yet to find the best time of the day to do it maybe later when it's darker and it's just the ambient light of the room or the studio lights maybe that would help but I really have to thank the company Ira for being there to do it to make this support so helpful and make the system of getting myself ready which hey it's a lot of fun to kind of find things to to wear to kind of be proud to sit back and smile and know that hey man I'm coordinated. Now, let's work on the performance. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.